This is Masters of Dispute Resolution on PodClips. Masters of Dispute Resolution is designed to provide those involved in the mediation process with the views of the most experienced and accomplished mediators and others experienced in the process. Through our discussions, you will gain insight into how to address and overcome difficult issues and achieve more satisfying results in mediation. Your host is Len Levy, mediator and arbitrator with ADR Services, Inc., a leading alternative dispute resolution provider. Lynn litigated complex cases for more than 30 years and has been a mediator since 1998 and is a member of the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. He has been recognized as a super lawyer in alternative dispute resolution each year since 2014. And now your host, Lynn Levy. Thank you, Daryl. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Masters of Dispute Resolution, a mini seminar, which will add tools to your mediation toolbox. We're brought to you by Lawyer Specific Insurance Brokerage, Inc., the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals, and ADR Services, Inc. Uh, This season is our third, and we're changing the format a bit. Uh, We're still providing insights into the mediation process, but we're going to be doing so through the power of storytelling. In each episode, you will hear a story about a conflict, the impact that conflict had on the lives of the parties involved, how resolution was reached, and lessons to be taken from that conflict and its resolution. Now, many of the details of the story you're about to hear have been modified to preserve the confidentiality essential to mediation while also conveying the essence of the conflict uh, and its resolution. Uh, today, joining me is, uh, and I should say this is a, a great honor, and will say it is a great honor to have Doug Knoll. Uh, Doug is uh, uh, essentially one of the thought leaders in the field of mediation. He is um, He left a successful career as a trial lawyer to become a peacemaker, His calling is to serve humanity, and he executes his calling at many levels. He's an award-winning author, teacher, trainer, and a highly experienced mediator. Doug's work carries him from international work to helping people resolve deep interpersonal and ideological conflicts to training life inmates to be peacemakers and mediators in maximum security prisons. His fourth book, Deescalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less, was published by Beyond Word Publishing in September of 2017. Deescalate is now in four languages and its second printing. Uh, Doug is also the co-founder of Prison of Peace and creator of the Noel Effect labeling system uh, in In 2012, Doug was honored by the California Lawyer Magazine as California Attorney of the Year, and I should say affect labeling uh, is the proper pronunciation. Um, Doug, thank you very much for for joining us on this podcast and and, uh, agreeing to uh, tell a story. And and I think we're going to probably get into... uh, some illustrations that may make this a multi-story uh, podcast. So, um, in this in this particular uh, instance, um, Doug uh, Doug has a 
a, a story to tell that I think was life changing for him. Doug, can you can you please get into just a little bit about what led up to that mediation, not just for the parties, but for you and your uh, ability to handle that mediation? Well, thanks for having me on the show, Len. Yes, the story was probably the story that launched me into the work that I'm doing today, uh, that I've been doing since 2005. So to back up, uh, I entered the practice of law in 1977, licensed in California, and clerked for a year and then went into private practice. And I joined a firm in Central California in September of 1977 and tried my first jury trial at the end of October of 1977. My second trial started about eight weeks after that, which was the defense of a $36 million securities fraud case in federal court in San Diego, the Southern District of California. So I was groomed by fire and became a big time trial lawyer, all commercial, complex commercial civil cases. Um, I took up the martial arts in the 1980s. And by the time I was 40, I was awarded my second degree black belt. And my teacher told me to start studying Tai Chi as a martial art, not as a contemplative practice. Tai Chi has two really interesting paradoxes. One is the softer you are, the stronger you are. And the second is the more vulnerable you are, the more powerful you are. Soft to be strong, vulnerable to be powerful. Well, I didn't really get that because at this time here, I'm in my early 40s, secondary black belt, accomplished trial lawyer, you know, war was was in my blood. Um, and I think a lot of us can, that now do mediation can relate to that. Uh, but it seeped into my soul. And so a couple of years later, I was in a courtroom trying a case and the thought came to me, what the heck am I doing in here? And after that trial, I had a vacation planned, a whitewater trip up in Idaho. And I spent 10 days thinking about how Many people had really served as a trial lawyer and concluded at the end of that vacation that trying cases was not my career. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew that my trial career was going to come to a close. So, of course, the universe provides. As I was driving down out of the mountains of the central Sierra Nevada down to my office in town, I heard the one and only public service announcement. I learned this later for a new master's degree program in peacemaking and conflict studies being offered at Fresno Pacific University, which is one of the West Coast Mennonite universities. I caught my attention and ultimately in, in, in mid-career, I think I was probably 46, 47, I enrolled and was a full-time master's student, graduate student, again, after <laughs> law school, and a three-quarters time law, law professor at our local law school and a full-time trial lawyer. What I learned in that program blew my head apart in terms of all the the things that I was dissatisfied about the law were now all answered for me in this master's program I took. I had brilliant professors. The pe my, my teachers were the people who started the international restorative justice movement. I mean, and they were brilliant scholars. And I was schooled in all kinds of aspects of understanding human conflict and what really what it's all about and what it means and how it takes. But the one thing that they did not have was a skill or a theory or how to calm angry people down. They, like everybody else, only had that old Thomas Gordon active listening stuff. What I hear you saying or what I think you're feeling is X, which we all know is utter BS, has never worked, will never work. 
and yet people still use it. And that's all I had. And I went out, I studied NBC, nonviolent communication, and I just found out that that was pretty worthless too. Um, and so essentially I had no tools for how to de-escalate really angry people. And none of my colleagues did either. Um, during my master's studies, I got turned on to neuroscience and came under the mentorship of a professor of neuroscience, John Ullman, at Caltech in Pasadena, California, which is where I grew up. And so I learned how to read neuro, neuroscientific brain scanning studies and meta studies and stuff like that. So I really schooled myself in the neuro, the, what was then the, the brand new emerging science of affect and emotions and literally what how are peace and conflict created in the human brain and but it wasn't giving me any clear answers about what to do so i left the practice of law in 2000 to open my mediation and peacemaking practice in, on november 1st 2000 and for five years I was mediating, I mediated litigated, litigated disputes, but I had a particular knack for dealing with non-litigated disputes, primarily family business conflicts and internal business disputes between partners or between boards or between CEOs and boards, you know, conflicts that were intense, uh, but where there was no room for litigation because the lit either there was no rule of law that was being that could provide for a remedy that would work or the expense was too great or people's wealth would be dissipated or crucial relationships would be destroyed. And so I began to develop a reputation for being able to take walk into those conflicts and help people sort, sort stuff out and all kinds of different congregational disputes, mm -hmm. um, people uh, who were fighting over all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I still didn't have a really good way of dealing with angry people. So come 2005, um, my wife, my, my wife-to-be has a practice in Santa Barbara, California, and we have, we're splitting our time between Santa Barbara and my central California home. And I was in Santa Barbara, and I got a call from the Community Mediation Center asking if I would step into this case that lawyers had sent to them, of, and I didn't know anything about it. So I said, sure, I'll do it. So so we convened, and th this very nice-looking, well-dressed, well-presented couple in their late 40s show up, show up. And I believe in no caucus mediation, so we were not going to do any caucusing in this mediation. This is all going to be joint session all the way through. Doug, I I'm going to interrupt you. Before you get into all, all of that, what happened in that session, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we get back, what I'd like to get into is what you knew about them before and what you perhaps learned since about what happened before they came into the room. Uh, we are on Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm chatting with Doug Knoll about uh, de-escalation. And uh, we will be back in a minute. Thank you. Masters of Dispute Resolution would like to thank ADR Services Incorporated, your partner in resolution, and its founder Lucy Barron for supporting this podcast. 
ADR Services is one of the leading providers of alternative dispute resolution in California. Leveraging technology to drive resolution, ADR Services is committed to dynamism in the face of growing client need and an ever-evolving legal climate. Now operating offices in all major legal markets of California, ADR Services provides unparalleled in-person and remote resolution services through its exclusive panel comprised of more than 130 of the most distinguished and talented neutrals across the state, capable of handling challenging and complex mediations, arbitration, and other procedures in every field of law. When you seek the services of a neutral and you want results and satisfied clients, contact ADR Services, www.adrservices.com. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm Len Levy, and we're chatting with Doug Knoll and I interrupted Doug just as he was about to embark on a very interesting story uh, about a couple uh, that came to him. And um, Doug, could you, if you would, please just give me an idea of the kind of the backstory. What what happened with these folks that, that caused them to come to you? Well, frankly, Lynn, I don't know. I got the call from the community mediation center asking if I'd come in and mediate it. And I said, yes. And they didn't have any information about this couple other than the lawyers had sent them to the community mediation center. So I I didn't have briefs. I had nothing. I mean, I knew nothing. And I'm used to that. This is not unusual. Um, And I don't know what happened to them days after the mediation. I can only describe what I saw which was one of the most powerful events of, of ever in my career. Mm-hmm. So let me tell you what happened. So they come in, as I said before, they were very well-dressed, well-presented. I go through my opening monologue, kind of explaining to them what's going on, ground rules, confidentiality, self-determination, all the stuff that we do, especially when we're working with people who don't, who may be represented, but their lawyers are not present in the room. And as soon as I finished, they both leapt out of their seats and started pointing fingers at each other, right in each other's face across the conference table, screaming vile obscenities. Shout, I mean, at the top of their lungs, vile obscenities. I kind of rock back. <laughs> Whoa, what am I going to do with these people? So I just let them go for a while, because I've learned over the years that anger is exhausting. And it, eventually, people start to get exhausted. I let them go for about 45 seconds. And then the thought came to me, listen to the emotions. Just this epiphany I had. So I did my Moses parting of the seas, took my hands, spread them apart, said, please be quiet, sit down. Got in quiet and settled. And I I just took this huge leap of faith. I had never done this before. I I'd never even thought of it before. And I turned to Susan and I said, Susan, what I'd like you to do is... Tell us, as John tells his story about what this is all about, tell us what John is feeling. I don't know, care about what his story is. All I want to know about is what you think he's experiencing emotionally. Can you do that? And in the beginning, she struggled. She said, yes, yeah, she tried. And in the beginning, she struggled. She'd spin. I said, no, I don't want your take on what John is saying. I want you to simply tell us what John is feeling. And eventually... She got to the point where where John would say something, tell part of his story, and and uh, Susan would say, "Oh, John's really angry." And let me back up and give you the background of why they, why they had this problem. Um, and mm-hmm. I learned this during the mediation, not because ahead of time. But the basic story is that when they were married, they had two small children, and 
they were in an automobile accident and not their fault. They settled and the and the money that was allocated to the minor children was $18,000 put into a minor's trust. Basically, you know, a bank account that parents can't rob without a court order. Many, many years later, nobody ever did anything with that bank account uh, and just sat there and collected interest. Many years later in Santa Barbara, she was laid off on a job, had to pay rent, had to pay bills, called up her children and say, hey, you know that bank account we got for you kids in the settlement? Do you mind if I take some of that money and use it for rent? And By this time, they're adults. They're adult children. They're adult children. Yeah. They're in their 30s now. All doing well. Mom, take the money we don't know. God, it's all yours. Have have at it. Well, of course, she didn't go get a court order. Husband lived 100 miles away in Bakersfield, California. Heard about this. Totally infuriated him. Hired a lawyer. Filed a lawsuit with all the usual claims. Breach of fiduciary duty. Fraud. You know, misappropriation. All, you know, they spent $50,000 in attorney's fees. Over an $18,000 problem. And the lawyers finally had it. Said, we're done with these people. So they sent them to the community mediation center because no mediator wanted to touch it in Santa Barbara. And the people there knew of me and they called me and said, but would I do it? And I said, and I would do it for pro bono. It was a pro bono case. So that's what the context was. And they hated each other's guts. But here's what happened. As John was telling his story, I'd have him go for just a couple of seconds, two or three sentences. And then I'd tell, ask Susan, what's, what's, he, what's he feeling? And she would look at me and say, well, I think he's angry. Well, tell John that. John, you're really angry. And within five minutes, they completely settled down. His anger completely went away. And she went from feeling victimized to feeling empowered. So I coached her through the process. And it took about an hour and a half to get his story out and for him her to listen to his and reflect back what he was feeling emotionally. And then we reversed roles. And I had John do the same thing. As Susan told her story, I said, John, what is Susan feeling right now? What's, he, what's her experience? And he would say, Susan, you're really angry. You feel frustrated. You feel disrespected. You feel really hurt, whatever it was in the moment. And it was just back and forth. I had them just had her just say a little bit give John enough to be able to reflect, coach them on how to reflect, and coach them through this process. So the whole thing took three or four hours. When we were done, John, there was silence in the room. John put his face in his hands and started to sob. Deep, racking sobs for like three or four minutes. And Susan and I sat there and just held space for him until he could compose himself push in the tissue box. He blows his nose and wipes his face and tears are streaming down. He looks up across the table and he kind of composes himself. And he says, Susan, that's the first time you've listened to me in 25 years. And I didn't say a word, kind of silence in the room. And he says, this is a ridiculous lawsuit. I'm so sorry I brought it. I'm dismissing, wave costs, and we're done. And she smiled and said, thank you, John. And they got up, held hands, walked out, and had lunch with each other. Wow. My jaw hit the floor. It <laughs> took <Take> a forklift. <laughs> to pick, I had no, what I had never seen anything like this before. Four hours before, if there had been knives on the table, there would have been blood on the floor. And I knew what I'd done. 
but I didn't know why it worked. I didn't know if it would ever work again. I was just flabbergasted at the result. And it turns out that two years later, a brain scanning study came out of Matthew Lieberman's lab at UCLA that laid down the neuroscience of what happens when you engage in this process that I stumbled on, an epiphany called affect labeling. And what the science, what the brain scanning study show, what the science shows is that when somebody is extremely angry or they're very emotional, the emotional circuits in their brain are completely overwhelming the prefrontal cortex. And that causes, in my opinion, this is not what the study showed, I've learned a lot more since then, but what what happens is when the prefrontal cortex gets overwhelmed, it shuts down and the uh, it can no longer access emotional information. And so people just become reactive and they become explosive. They get into a condition known as alexithemia and they revert back to their old childhood programming about how to deal with fights and arguments, which is why when you see a 40 year old fighting, you say, oh, they're acting like a six year old. It's because they are. But when you affect label, you are literally lending your prefrontal cortex to the speaker for the 90 seconds it takes for that prefrontal cortex to come back online and for the emotional circuits to deactivate. And they literally calm down in 90 seconds or less. The response is not something they can decide to do. That's correct. It's all, it all happens unconsciously. You cannot resist it. You can't fight it. Your brain is hardwired to respond this way. That's why you can calm any angry person in 30, 60, 90, 120 seconds without fail. And so I began to study this. I didn't, obviously in 2005, I didn't have the science. I didn't have that until later, but I knew what I'd done and I began testing it and refining it. And then it wasn't too long after that, that I began to teach it because I saw it as such a powerful skill, but it was really scary, really scary. Your preparation for the epiphany was, it sounds like it was a, a key. I think so. I think it was all of my study, my master's study and my study of neuroscience. I think I hit a critical mass in that mediation in, in my thinking where I was now open to a whole new innovative, totally counterintuitive way of dealing with human conflict. We're going to take a break now, and when we get back, we are going to be delving even more deeply into a subject that uh, the guide is the key, and uh, we have the best guide here, Doug Knoll. We'll be back. Most attorneys need professional liability coverage, but very few are professional liability experts. And there are so many options when it comes to legal malpractice insurance. How do you know how much coverage you need? What should your policy limits be? What if you've had a past claim? You shouldn't have to take time away from helping your clients to research professional liability coverage. And with lawyer-specific insurance brokerage on your side, you don't need to. Their professional liability experts shop California's leading insurance carriers to find your firm the right coverage at the best price. Lawyer-specific founders Al and Debbie Hernandez have over 50 years combined experience working with the highest-rated providers of lawyers' professional liability insurance. So trust the brokerage with access to over 40 carriers in California to find a cost-effective malpractice insurance solution for your firm. Go to LawyersPacific.com and click Request a Quote. 
Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm Len Levy, and we're chatting with Doug Knoll. And when we broke, we talked, uh, we we heard from Doug about an extraordinary uh, result uh, by the use of affect labeling to calm down a couple. And um, I want to get into some of the things that, some of the questions that arose for me. And one is, this obviously took place in a joint session. And it almost, in California, it has almost become a, I don't know, a nasty word to even suggest a joint session take place between clients. Um, Doug, I think you have a few thoughts on that. Right. You know, when when uh, we first started seeing mediation in the context of litigation, this was probably in the early 80s, um, people were using the community community mediation model, which emphasizes uh, joint session work. But the problem, as I and I am frankly, that's the way I was trained. And I would I would always prefer a joint session over caucus based mediation. In most cases, there's sometimes when caucus based mediation is more efficient. But but I find that I can settle cases much, much faster in a joint session than in caucus based mediation. The problem is that most mediators who get, if they get mediation training, uh, and there are many retired judges who do not get mediation training, that they are not learned, they do not learn and they're not taught in the standard mediation courses, such as at Pepperdine, which is great, I teach there. So, you know, I mean, I love Pepperdine, but the fact of the matter is that most mediation training does not teach mediators how to manage the strong emotions that are inevitably going to arise in a joint session. And as a result, in those days, it was very easy for things to get out of control very quickly. And if you're dealing with a mediator who has no training at that time, then it was even worse. And the lawyers quickly learned that joint, joint sessions, even if well-managed, are uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable. You're confronting people that you really don't like. And you're confronting opposing counsel. However, uh, you know, the discomfort can, it should be mitigated by the mediator who create, who has the ability to create a psych safe psychological space for the people to have the hard conversations. And if they don't have that skill, then obviously the joint session is going to be suboptimal. So lawyers pretty quickly started saying, no, we don't need a joint session. Let's go to caucus. And mediators being driven by their market, which are the lawyers, quickly conceded uh, and actually probably felt better about it because they didn't have to confront the discomfort of a joint session anyways. And so now we have a model that's pretty well uh, established across North America where all litigated disputes go into a caucus-based facilitated negotiation. I wouldn't even call it mediation, really. I'd call it facilitated negotiation. And, uh, you know, that's just the way it is. It's being driven by the market. It's unfortunate because there are a fair number of cases where if you could get the plaintiff and the defendant in the same room, uh, you can get and get them and control the emotions and de-escalate people and have them really work through the emotional components of the conflict. But just like I saw in 2005, they can reach a settlement on the underlying substantive problem much, much faster because they're not hanging on to the emotionality that's causing them to get stubborn or resistant to settlement uh, because the resistance to settlement is always emotional. And 
especially in business cases. So getting rid of that emotionality by having people talk to each other, facilitating that difficult, difficult conversation makes the process go a lot faster. But unfortunately, it's just not practiced today. And so so it doesn't happen. Now, in, in the work that I do, I do a fair number. Of course, I do litigated disputes, and it has to be caucus-based, and I don't find it to be particularly challenging or difficult work. But in the non-litigated dispute, I never caucus. It's always joint session. It could be a family business conflict. It could be an estate problem where beneficiaries are arguing against each other. Or there's a you know, fight against the trustee. It could be a family business conflict where you've got generational conflicts. It could be you know, any kind of relationship dispute where there's usually a lot of wealth involved. And you've got to maintain the relationships. The relationships have to be maintained. The only way that you can do that is through joint session. Right. And Doug, let, let me let me just interject something, because two days ago I had this same ex- experience in a, a family business dispute. Mm-hmm. And um, I during that that uh, I suggested that there be a joint session. The impression that I took away was the attorney did not want it. Uh, they 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 went into caucus without me, so to speak, uh, pr- privately, and came back and said, unless we know a specific agenda, uh, we're not doing it. Right. So 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 that talks to two things that have to be done. One, you have to have a pre-mediation meeting with at least the lawyer, and preferably the lawyer and the client. To, to prepare them for what the joint session is going to be all about and to answer their questions and to make sure they feel safe and they feel like you're competent to manage the mediation. Mm-hmm. That has to happen first. And you have to do that with all sides. So everybody's in agreement. We're going to have a joint session and this is how it's going to be structured and these are the ground rules and this is what's going to happen mm-hmm. in this order. So it's a very structured conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't have that meeting and you, you're faced with what you're having, you're suggesting you decide that maybe a joint session is right. Then you have to be prepared to say, meet people individually in caucus first and say, this is what I propose and why I propose it. This is what I think is going to happen. And here's what the structure is going to be. And oh, by the way, if anybody feels like it's not being productive, we can call it off. So you empower people to you know call it off. And then your job is to keep, keep everybody in the crucible <laughs> to get through the fire, come out the other end. Right. Basically, that's basically how you do it. Um, and that was done, by the way. <laughs> still, still didn't persuade him. Nothing you can do. I mean, you know, you just you got inside inside your head. You're shaking and said, you know, stupid lawyers don't know what they're doing. You know, I mean, they don't understand this. They're not trained in it. They're not schooled in it. They don't understand the neuroscience. Um, you know, they're basically working off an old model or no model, and they're just ignorant and they're frightened. They're they're fearful. And you just have to acknowledge their fear and do the best you can. I have had plenty of mediations in business cases where we started off caucus. And I had the business principals in the mediation. And I told the lawyers, you know, these guys got to sit and talk to each other. Would you, would you be okay with them just going into a room with me, no lawyers, and just have them hash this thing out? Right. And they do, and they settle it. Doug, and and but my experience with that has been, and and... Uh, see if it's, it's yours, that you then raise the possibilities in the mediation. The possibilities for uh, initially 
uh, between settling a case and resolving a conflict. That's right. And in business cases, I'm always looking for the business deal because the business deal is always going to resolve the conflict and settle the case. Right. Right. So so when, when dealing with uh, when we're dealing with the idea of, of, of joint sessions uh, versus caucuses, um, there have been many times uh, where the, the attorneys have told me in advance there is no way you put these guys in the same room. Uh, they'll kill each other. As a matter of fact, I had one where they actually had exchanged death threats prior to the mediation. Somehow they evolved into, gosh, we what we really need here is to put this behind us. And it was not possible using the caucus model. And then hopefully you've got the skill set necessary to, to be able to manage the strong emotions. Actually, I feel best when after after uh, that kind of session, I've had it where I inform the attorneys, look, I've now, with your permission, talked to your clients, each of them, and they want to meet with each other, but without you. Right. And and, and um, they want me in the room. And then after five minutes of, of this discussion, say, you know something, Lynn? Maybe we should just talk. And, 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 and I haven't said a word to that point. And right. then they resolve the case. That, attorneys get very that, nervous. Very frequent. Very frequent. It's, it's amazing. If you can get people de-escalated, they can settle the case themselves. But what prevents them from getting the case resolved is their emotions. Right. And if you can get those emotions calmed down, they're they're more than capable of making a deal. Right. And so your the job as the mediator is to manage the emotions in the room and get people calmed down and then let them do what they do best, which is negotiate deals. Right. That's the, the key, as you've said, it is providing a safe space, uh, but with them being in the proper emotional state to be able to utilize that safe space. Right. And and so the mediator's job is to de-escalate. Right. As I, as I teach my students at Pepperdine, de-escalate, then problem solve. Right. All right. Uh, so... Look, one of the one of the events that occurred and uh, in in your life, uh, one of the major events that occurred in your life started with a letter, the Laurel Coffer. Why don't we um, get started with that, and um, then we'll probably have to take a break and then continue um, after that. So uh, just get started with that letter. So in August of 2009, I get a phone call from Laurel, who's a dear colleague of mine, a mediator at, in you know in Southern California and also adjunct at Pepperdine like me. And she says, you got a minute? I said, yeah. And so she read me a letter from a woman uh, serving a life sentence without possibility of parole in the largest, most violent women's prison in the world, which was at that time Valley State Prison for Women in Chowchilla, California. And the, the woman, Susan Russo, who's now deceased, uh, asked Laurel if Laurel would be willing to come into the prison and teach 150 women who are all li- lifers and long-termers how to be peacemakers and mediators to stop prison violence because they were tired of the violence. And it, we learned later that she had had surgery and was writing these letters in a hospital bed and written 50 letters. And this was the last letter that she wrote and she hadn't gotten any responses. And 
So Laurel called me because I live about an hour and 15 minutes from the prison and Laurel knew me as a really good teacher and trainer and also that um, I'm a secondary black belt. So there's a sort of a safety component there. And asked, about, what, do, what, do you, what do I think? And I thought about it for a nanosecond. I said, I think if this is the real deal, we should do this. Because I saw immediately that I could acid test these listening skills to see, to really refine them in the darkest place on the planet, a maximum security prison, teaching lifers all kill, killing somebody, lifers how to de-escalate intense anger. And so we responded to the letter and eight months later started training our first cohort of 15 women in April of 2010. And that's how Prison of Peace started. We're going to take a break right now and get back to Prison of Peace. Uh, this is Len Levy. I'm chatting with Doug Knoll on Masters of Dispute Resolution. Masters of Dispute Resolution is sponsored by the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. NADN is the premier invitation-only association of civil mediators and arbitrators in the United States with members in every state of the nation. Only experienced ADR professionals who are widely acceptable to local plaintiff and defense firms are invited to join the Academy's roster. The Academy's website, NADN.org, is the most widely visited neutrals database in the world today, with over 40,000 law offices, insurance companies, and corporations visiting our free website annually. Firms can search for neutrals by many criteria, including location, case expertise, qualifications, language skills, and most NADN members also publish their available dates, calendars, online, making NADN.org the go-to website for law firms wishing to schedule appointments online with their preferred mediators. For more information, please visit www.nadn.org. Org today. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm Len Levy. We're chatting with Doug Knoll uh, about the prison of peace. And now, uh, Doug, one of the things you've just uh, you've just indicated is you've you've agreed to take on quite a project. Uh, what was it like the first time you walked into uh, the, the women's prison located in Chowchilla? Intimidating, <laughs> to put it to put it bluntly. I mean, both Laurel and I were civil trial lawyers in our early career. None of us had much experience with the criminal justice system, and certainly neither one of us had ever been in a prison before. And uh, you know, in a maximum security prison, you go through what's known as the visitor center, where you go through clearance, and you've got a big clearance process. You unload all your pockets, take off your shoes, ID. You walk through a metal detector, scanner, badge, and then you go through. A double lock gate through where the electric electric fence is that electrocutes people if they go over the fence, razor wire. And then you got a long walk and you go through central control, which is this big steel door opens and you walk into this room. The steel door closes. You got to show your ID again. And um, then eventually, when everybody goes through the master control, the next door opens. Big heavy door, big clunks, you know, really intimidating. And you walk out and now you're in the yard, you're in the belly of the beast. Yeah, it was intimidating. Uh, but, and but now you want to, and now you want to calm down people. 
Right. You want to calm yourself down. <laughs> this ain't Kansas. Right. Uh, so, but you know, after a while you get used to it. So we had Laurel and I were very thoughtful about how we developed when we got the go ahead, how we were going to develop this curriculum. We spent a long time building this curriculum. We're both trainers. We had a lot of material. And the question that we faced was how do we teach these people mediation? And Laurel very wisely said, we have to assume that they have zero skills. They're in prison for a reason. And so we have to teach them a ton of skills before we can even begin to think about teaching the mediation. And so that's how we built. And, that, and then that's when we started introducing my listening skills um, and peace circles. And we both, it was amazing. It was really, we had a lot of fights, but it was really beautiful how we were able to meld our knowledge and experience together to put together what, Today is just a world-class curriculum. So we started in April of 2010 with 15 women, all different ethnicities, different where they were young from early 30s to 65, all different educational backgrounds, black, white, uh, Hispanic, you know, Asian, you name it. I mean, it, it was as diverse a group of women as you could ever imagine. And the what was struck me was how antagonistic they were towards me in the beginning because here i was i'm a big man uh six one 200 pounds great white hair lawyer every evil thing that had happened to them happened to them because of somebody that looked like me every single one of them well not all of them many of them had gone suffered huge sexual and physical abuse as we later learned and so it was very humbling for me coming off my perch right as a well-known mediator and and before that a well-known trial lawyer to walk into a place where there was a lot of anger and resentment uh, so we began to teach our curriculum and the first thing we were taught then and now is how to listen well, it's not exactly true. We start we start with what this is, class is all about, what our outcome, what our goals are, what our outcome is, how we're going to teach it. Then we then we go into talking about restorative justice because the, although it's not a restorative justice course, it's based on restorative justice principles. So we wanted them to understand restorative justice and where that came from. And then and then in the the in the afternoon of the first day, we started teaching them the four levels of reflective listening. And that's where we, and the fourth level of reflective listening is affect labeling, which is what I brought to the table. And we start getting them listening to emotions. And then we came back, at, we, in, the, in those days, we tried to kill ourselves. We would do all day sessions from basically nine to four with a little bit of a lunch break every Wednesday for 16 weeks, little knowing how exhausting that was gonna be. Um, and so we would go in every Wednesday and Laura would come up here and stay at my place, and we'd drive the hour and 15 minutes uh, across the valley to Villa and we would teach. The, we saw this, these really black thorns for about five weeks, and we came in in the sixth week, and there were no black thorns in the room. There were these beautiful roses. These women had like overnight just transformed in front of us. They were laughing and giggling and smiling and happy to see us. 
and really engaged and you know they look like normal human beings and we thought whoa what happened what pills did these guys take you know we couldn't believe it well it turned out that in every cohort since then it's week six when the transformation occurs because as they learn how to listen to and reflect emotions and we force them to practice it on the yard with other people in their community they get in touch with their own humanity their emotional shutdown ends they become less emotionally defensive as they're able to listen to other people's emotions and they're actually able to stop fights and arguments and de-escalate people they start feeling good about themselves their self-esteem comes back they become in touch with their own emotional experiences they're able to process some of the emotional problems they've had all their lives and they just become human beings again it was remarkable uh, so that's how it started in that first cohort. And then out of that first cohort, which started with 15, by the time we were like halfway through, I don't know how many people, hundreds of women were signing up to want to take prison of peace. Word spreads fast in a prison. And the word got out, this is the real deal. And th these people are amazing and we're learning amazing stuff. And that other inmates were watching the transformations that were occurring to these women and say, whatever you got, I want it. So we had a huge waiting list. So the next cohort, we decided that we would train 35 women, triple the size first, or double, a little over double. And then I think the fourth cohort was somewhere between 30 and 40. Big cohorts, really difficult. And then we started, our model was to take the best of the best and train them how to be trainers so that ultimately they could take over our responsibility and we wouldn't have to be there. And we thought this would be a three-year process. And in fact, it was a three-year process. So that by uh, the fall of 2013, we were ready to turn the program over to the women because we had something like 20 women trained up as fully trained trainers and mediators who were ready to teach their, their community how to be peacemakers and mediators following our curriculum. Exactly. No changes. So, so the, the, the uh, applicability of affect labeling became the uh became a cornerstone of yep. this training the ability to learn how to listen became a cornerstone of of the results and we're we're running out of time but i want you to share just very briefly the results of someone who um someone named sarah yeah. So I'll, I'll just I'll give you the quick overview. We walked in one one day, I think week five, week six, um, and one of our students was crying. Laurel went over to her, kneeled next to her, and we heard this story. She said she'd been in prison for 18 years because she killed a family of four as a drunk driver. And when she came into prison, she had to give up her three-year-old son to her sister to raise. She'd written her son every single week for 18 years, never heard from him, Never got a letter back, never got a visit, phone call, nothing. All she knew is what she learned from her sister. She told us that she decided to write a different letter in the week between our classes. And she wrote him a letter where she affect labeled him, imagining what he must have gone through. And she looked up at us and she said, today, for the first time in 18 years, I got a letter back from him. And at the end of the letter, he said, I love you, mom. I'm bringing my girlfriend and we're going to come visit you in three weeks. And she started crying again. Wow. Yep. It it absolutely 
brings tears to my eyes as well. Does just, to me too. Just hearing yeah. that, yeah, just just hearing that story and the effect and the power of applying a technique that allows that affords people the ability to calm other people down and to listen. That's it. And Doug, I, I can think of no fitting a better way to, to end this session, but uh, to thank you very, very much for, for agreeing to be on this, on this podcast. And uh, how can people best uh, reach you? Uh, they can reach me through my website, dougnoll.com, D-O-U-G-N-O-L-L.com. And my email address is uh, doug at dougnoll.com. Doug, once again, thank you. And, and I hope I hope someday we can have you back as a guest. Uh, you, you, you're, you've always been a fascinating person. Uh, I've, I've known you kind of from afar a little bit for, for a number of years. Um, but... Uh, but again, uh, th this has been just an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you, Daryl Wayne, engineer and producer. And I'm your host, Len Levy. This is Masters of Dispute Resolution on podclips.io, powered by Infogen Labs. I hope you will continue to enjoy the stories we bring you. And in the meantime, stay well, keep listening, and remember, peace of mind is enhanced when conflicts are resolved. If you wish to contact Len Levy, you can reach him through his email at lslevy at advservices.com, through Len's website, lenlevymediate.com, telephone him at 818-903-5562, or contact his case manager at ADR Services, 213-683-1600.